be like T-ball pretty soon. Hutchin and a ground ball to third, breaking for the plate, the throw, and they got him. No, he called him safe. He called him safe. Unbelievable. That is remarkable. That is unbelievable. The throw beat him by a mile. Live. Did he get him? Oh, he tapped entertainment capital of the world. It isn't. The runner goes halfway. Oh. Somebody thought it was on. His Torres had a scoop it and doesn't get it. And Ty Wigginton, oh, he made it. He bumped him and he's gone. It's the T.C. Martin Show. And Wigginton is furious. Diagnosis. The 3-2 pitch. Prognosis. Outside ball for Cross strike three. Osmosis. Cross strike three. I didn't think that Marty Foster was going to ring it up. The doctor, T.C. Martin. No, goodness no, gracious. No, no, no. you got to be kidding me. you got to be kidding me. The doctor is now in. Get your money's worth. Glad to have you with us here. Hour number two on this magnificent Monday. Call it what you want. What a busy, historic weekend here in Las Vegas. Again, the WNBA semifinals at Game 5 Friday night, Electric at Mandalay Bay, the Michelob Ultra Arena, Saturday night, T-Mobile Arena. The fight! The fight! Oh, my goodness. And I appreciate Brian Salmon and uh, Sam Gordon joining me last hour talking about the wild, crazy weekend here in Las Vegas. And then, of course, the Raiders and the Bears. And like I said, the first time in the three home games that we've had here, all right, and if you, four home games if you want to count the Seattle um, Seahawks coming for the exhibition game. But the first time you've had a rabid visiting fan base where they packed the place and were boisterous. I mean, totally different atmosphere with the Chicago Bears and their fans here yesterday at Allegiant Stadium. And the Bears got the job done over the Raiders 20-9. to And uh, we'll get to more uh, sound and audio from John Gruden and uh, Derek Carr regarding uh, that game. So, all right, uh, Matt Holt's going to join us a little bit later on this hour as well, too, and we start talking to him about uh, what our eyes saw over the course of the football weekend, Saturday from the college side and Sunday from the NFL side. But right now, it is more fight talk, and we talk to the five-time champ and a fantastic job on the ESPN broadcast. We're talking about Timothy Bradley, my man. What is up, brother? What's going on? What's going on, fellas? How y'all doing, baby? We're doing good, Tim. Uh, wow. All right, so let's talk about Fury Wilder 3, the WBC Heavyweight Championship on the line, T-Mobile Arena. Tim, we talked about it last week, and the whole time building up to this thing, uh, build is once and for all, and I was saying, okay, I hope this actually lives up to the billing of the title, not the hype, but once and for all, because I don't want to see Deontay Wilder anymore. I don't want to see Tyson Fury and Deontay Wilder anymore. And I predicted that Tyson Fury would dispose of him. Now that he did, do we need to see any more of Deontay Wilder, Tim? Even though he did, it was a game effort. It was a game performance. But what do you think of the fight at T-Mobile Arena here on Saturday night? Well, first of all, do we need to see some more Deontay Wilder? Absolutely. We need to see more Deontay Wilder, without a doubt. Uh, but I don't know if we're going to see him in the ring with Tyson Fury again. I mean, you know, if you if you really dig deep into the into to all three matches, I mean, Tyson Fury, to me, has won all three mm-hmm. of their matches. You know, and, and this last time, I mean, this was a this was a classic. Honestly, I was at home. I was screaming at the TV. I was going crazy. I was... I was a nut, man. I was doing commentary during the course of the fight as well. I was texting my colleagues that were there on site, man, just going back and forth with different things I was thinking about. Uh, it was just um, it was an exhilarating event. Um, you know, you never see two heavyweights, big guys, as big as these guys were, standing toe-to-toe. It wasn't a boxing match. It was a fight. And, and you know, the first round was very interesting because I, I was kind of scoring a fight, uh, you know, on Twitter. And, I you know, the first round, the way Wilder came out, he was different. I mean, he was sharp. He was explosive. He was digging down to the body. You could see the game plan that he was implementing. And I was like, I told my wife, I looked at her, I said, wow, that was a great first round by Wilder. I was like, but can he sustain that? And can he make adjustments? Because Fury's going to catch on to it, you know, sooner than later. 
And, uh, you know, and she was just like, well, we're going to see. And, you know, at the third round, I started seeing Wilder being a little gas, and I was like, oh, here he goes. Here's the second fight now for Deontay Wilder. Let's see once if he gets hit. If he gets hit hard, he goes down to get hurt. Is he going to result back to who he is? And that's exactly what happened. As soon as he got hit, dropped, he resulted back to form. It's normal, normal Deontay Wilder bagging up, you know, locked knees. Uh, staying in the corner, got hit with some big shots over the over the top, into the body. Uh, but it was a great effort, great effort by him though, man. He showed a tremendous amount of heart and will during the course of the fight. And, and I have to honestly say that he made, he actually made the fight. Tyson Fury, we knew, we knew Tyson Fury was going to come and bring it, like he brought it the second time. So that that we knew that was coming, but I didn't think Deontay Wilder was going to fight as hard as he did during the course of the fight. Yeah, and I think that the that the layoff and all that time and the postponement really helped Deontay Wilder because if they would have fought like when they were going to originally, I think it would have been more of the same. But Deontay Wilder had time to to kind of at least attempt to reinvent himself. And I'm with you. Round one, I thought, okay, this is like the, the Deontay Wilder, the, the 10 tile defenses we saw before. But then as the fight wore on, I said, ah, there go the legs. Oh, there goes the cardiovascular. It's just like, nah, he, he doesn't have it. And it's really strange, Tim, too, because when this guy was was just rolling through the division and granted – he didn't fight a lot of great competition, but again, there wasn't a lot of great competition in the heavyweight division during that time. He had those 10 tile defenses, and when he got in the ring with uh-huh. Fury, he was a big favorite because Fury kind of disappeared, you know, ballooned up to 400 pounds, was going through the drug issues, the recovery, and all that kind of stuff, and then you know, Wilder you know, did his thing uh, for the most part in that first fight, and then until uh-huh. he started taking some shots, and then boom, like you said, when he when he laid uh, Tyson Fury out in that twelfth round, which we still are shocked that Tyson Fury got up from that that twelfth round knockdown, going back to December twenty eighteen, it ended up a draw. But like you, I felt yes that Tyson Fury still won that fight because he probably he yeah. won a majority of the rounds. I say he won at least you know seven of the twelve rounds, maybe even eight of those twelve rounds. But right. you know what that fight captured everyone's attention and made a name for Tyson Fury. And I think a lot of people that time too were thinking like, okay, you know, Deontay Wilder is still that guy that we've, you know, seen him with those 10 tile defenses. So that's why the rematch was curious. But when the rematch came in February of 2020, it was all Fury all night, the seventh round TKO, the stoppage. But from that moment on, it was like, I can just speak for myself. And I think, you know, you and I've talked about it before too. That, you know, it's just like, nah, I don't think we want to see more of this because the beating that, that Wilder took of Fury that night, I mean, that leaves a lasting impression. And, and we've taught, you've talked about this before. You know, when you get hit with those type of shots, are you going to be the same person? So the beginning of the fight, it was like, okay, Wilder's here. But then when he started getting hit with those shots, and like you said, ran out of gas, it was the Deontay Wilder that basically I'm expecting to never see again yeah yeah well the, the you know the crazy thing is is that i know i was talking to my wife not too long ago i told her i said we may not see deontay wilder again there's a possibility he may not return i mean he was getting away with doing things the wrong way and he was knocking out guys left and right he got comfortable with the knockout he got comfortable with himself he was enamored with his power he thought that anything that he can hit he can destroy yeah, that may very well be true, but Tyson Fury is a different, a different animal. But the thing is, is that now he comes back 20 months later. He changes everything. He does everything right. Got a nutritionist. He's weight training, 300 pounds, you know, bench pressing. I mean, he's doing everything that he possibly can. Changes the whole complete team, except I believe it's like one guy, you know. And he did everything right. And it still wasn't good enough. So when you do everything wrong and you're having results and you do everything right and you're not having the right results, then, like, what is there? What's more to do? Honestly, I mean, this is the pinnacle, the top. Forget about the belts from right now. The belts are a spectacle at the moment. Forget about that. Let's talk about number one versus number two. Wilder showed last night or Saturday night that he was the number two heavyweight in the division. You know, I would argue that 
you know, because Jeff, uh, Anthony Joshua, he had, he held the well, he held most of the titles, but he just lost to Usyk. So I would say that Deontay Wilder is number two, and the way he performed, man, just the way he performed. Those guys were in the ring; they were having a it was a dog fight. You can see how much they hated each other. Like you could, I was like just glaring through the television. Now I was watching. I was like, these guys just do not like each other. Every punch that was thrown was a death blow. Like honestly, and you know when they got busy and they start, you know, uh, Tyson Fury start mauling them in the inside and stuff. And I was like, oh, here it goes. Here he, here he comes. Here he comes. And I'm screaming the whole time. Uppercut, uppercut's available. Then he finally throws it in the eleventh round. Right. <laughs> finally throws it, finds a home for that. But you know, Wilder had a great game plan. I think they put a little bit too much mass on the top. If he wanted more stability, he should have put the mass on the legs. He still had Kit Kats for for, for legs. I mean, they were small, little bitty legs, big upper body. <laughs> You know, he should have switched. He should have reversed it. Put the weight on the legs so that way he could be more stable. Right. There's ways of getting around the mauling as well. You know, it's something that Malik missed. Uh, there wasn't a plan B. The, there was no plan B. It was just to the body. They had the game plan to the body, to the body. And he still carried his hands low, like I was saying. You know, he did implement some feints. I thought it was brilliant. And he did disguise his right hand every now and then behind various jabs. But that was it. There was nothing more. Footwork was still terrible, in my opinion. So, great, uh, decent job. I would say a decent job by Malik. Uh, even though this is their first fight, they had to work together. Um, you know, I, I always tell you, I always tell people, you can't show an uh, old dog new tricks. Right. Honestly, you know, he, it, it's been embedded since day one. If this guy would have learned how to box from day one, then it's in his DNA. It's 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 who he is. But he has it. He's been fighting a certain way his whole entire career. And as soon as you get under that pressure, that's what that's what comes back. That's what's going to be shown inside that ring. And uh, it wasn't good enough. Tyson Fury is, is to me, to, to me, Tyson Fury is the modern-day Ali. I have to say that. The modern-day Ali. This was one of those type of fights where, you know, you, you just put, you, well, now they win New Age. Now I would say put in the, put the, put in the VCR, but right. now you just, you just click it, click it on YouTube or, or whatever uh, app you want to put it on. And, uh, you know, ESPN, whatever app you want to put it on, man, and just watch it. It's a beautiful, beautiful fight. Uh, a classic all-time one and probably top three heavyweight classics, in my opinion. Um I honestly wouldn't mind seeing the fourth fight, but I, I, I highly, highly doubt it. <laughs> Timothy Bradley uh, joins us, and we're talking about what we saw Saturday night. Fury Wilder 3, Tyson Fury with the 11th round knockout. Uh, referee Russell Mora stops the fight as Wilder went down face first into the canvas there, and it was just an accumulation of, of being fatigued, tired, and getting hit with all those shots. I talked uh, before, Tim, about the punches landed. Fury, 150 to 72. The jabs, 36 to 9. Power punches, 114 to 63. And in that ninth round, where Fury was phenomenal, connected on 22 of 45, and Wilder just had, he had single-digit outputs in 10 of the 11 rounds. Just It, it wasn't there for all those reasons that you talked about. Uh, let me ask you this, and you fought you know, guys like Manny Pacquiao multiple times. Yeah. Um, is it one of these things with Deontay Wilder where just Fury is just his nemesis? It's just not a yep. good matchup for him. But if we see Deontay Wilder against someone else, maybe a Usyk or a Joshua or, like I said, an Ortiz again, that maybe there is the Deontay Wilder again that we come to remember before he started this trilogy with Fury. Yeah, you know, honestly, uh, I think that I think that Deontay Wilder, if he, if he does come back, I think, like I said, he's the number two heavyweight in the division. Um, some people may argue that, but the, the performance he put on against Tyson Fury, he gave Tyson Fury hell. Um, you know, and I get some guys are saying, well, it was, it was kind of like a one-sided beating as well. I was like, dude, there was it wasn't a second during the fight where I was like, oh, Fury's about to get hit with a right hand. Uh, you know, I mean, it, any second, he even hurt. See, he even hurt Fury in the tenth. Yes, he yeah. hurt him in the tenth round with with the uppercut, and then you know uh, the bell the bell had rang, but um, and, and Fury was able to survive. But still, man, he this guy was still alive. He still was swinging back, even though he was dead tired. 
And and this is the thing when you when you start lifting weights, that requires more oxygen. You got to understand that that requires more oxygen. You put the mass on, you have less flexibility. So what what Wilder did wrong here was is that he wanted strength and he wanted power and he sacrificed his stamina. You know, he didn't have great stamina to begin with. And I you know I heard through the grapevine he wasn't a he wasn't a big fan of running. Um, there's ways of building your stamina. I mean, swimming. Swimming is like the ultimate, and I used to incorporate that into my training program because I was a very muscular guy that required a ton of oxygen and had really good stamina. So if he would have, I think if he would have had it more work in the stamina department, I think he would have been better off going that route versus building all that mass. But I wouldn't mind seeing Deontay Wilder against Joshua. I think he destroys Joshua. Different, two different mindsets. Honestly, two different mindsets. You know, I was waiting to see if 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 Wilder uh, was going to kind of lay down, and he didn't. He didn't lay down. Fury had to really take it and beat it out of him. Honestly, Fury earned this victory the hard way. You know, um, so um, Deontay Wilder, if he fights a guy like Usyk, or he lands one of those right hands, it could be a good night for Usyk because Usyk is a small guy. If he fights Joshua, I think he knocks out Anthony Joshua, to be honest with you. He'll hit Anthony Joshua with one of those right hands, and, and I believe he'll go to sleep. Uh, Usyk hurt him, for Christ's sakes. You know, Anthony Joshua's not the same guy he once was. So, yes, Wilder, number two. Is Wilder ever going to be better than Tyson Fury? <laughs> no. Even if they will fight the fourth time, no. But, uh, you know, number two is not bad for anyone in, in any division, man. Number two is a really good spot for any heavyweight. You know what was sad, though? I mean, you know, Deontay Wilder really did capture the American public for a period there because we haven't had any American, you know, heavyweights that were really worth a darn. And it's kind of sad to see Wilder still, even at the press conference last week, still talking about the last fight and accusing Tyson Fury of cheating and that nonsense. And you'd just like to see him just move away from that and just say, hey, you got beat down. You know, he made the changes. He got rid of Mark Breland. He brought in Malik Scott. And, you know, that was a big question mark for me. It's like, okay, this is a guy who, who he fought in the ring and, and, and beat up Malik Scott. And now Malik Scott's going to turn into a trainer. And now he's going to train him. And this is the first time you're going to get. I mean, there's just a lot of red flags here. And like you said, coming off of that last fight, you know, you were surprised that he didn't lay down because after the beating he took, we, and, and he talked about after that fight, he was like, well, not even sure he wants to fight again. I mean, there are a lot of these questions. So it was really great to see Deontay Wilder come in there, stand up, uh, deliver shots. And I, I was like you, like, wow. I mean, it could end at any point in time, you know, the other way. If he connects with Fury, he put Fury down twice in one round. And then here we go, Tim, at the end of the fight. The sportsmanship has uh, gone out the door, and Tyson Fury tries to say, you know, good fight, good fight, and then Wilder wants nothing to do with him again. It's just like, man, you just, you know, people want to like Fury, but it's hard. I mean, uh, Wilder, but it's hard to like this guy. <laughs> you know, I'm not going to lie. I'm not a huge fan of Deontay Wilder myself. Right? I'm really not. I'm going to be honest with you. I'm not. Um, but when Fury said that he would try to go over there and, you know, just, you know, show respect. Right. And the fact that he didn't respond and said, I don't, I don't still don't respect you, man. Uh, honestly, they, it just put a sour taste in my mouth, honestly. And I was just like, ah, that's why I don't like this guy. You know, right. you got to be a man about it. You know, when you're winning and you're knocking guys out, you know, you got to be a, a gentleman about it. When you lose, you got to be a gentleman about it. And it's just like, it just seems like Wilder has never got that memo at all. He's a sore loser. Um, that sucks. Um, just the way he is. But uh, I'm not a fan of it at all, man. Right. Had that, anything like that happened to you during the course of your career? Whether, I doubt it was on your side, never. but just your opponents? I mean, a- afterwards? Never. Yeah. Never, because they know I'll bust them upside the head. That's why they know that. <laughs> <laughs> they know I ain't, I ain't taking that. I'll be like, man, you a sore loser. I'll call them out on it, you know. And, 
and I'll, I'll dig into them. But uh, no, I've never had that. Never had that problem. Yeah, I mean, for the most part, I mean, again, you got there's a brotherhood there, and a lot of people don't realize that. You know, with boxing, they think you get, just get that in football and some of the other sports because you're represented by a players' association and that sort of thing. But with boxers, there is that that mutual you know respect, and you know, sure, we love the hype, we love the trash talking, but for the most part, I mean, when a fight is over, I mean, you guys embrace and and you know, yeah, and you 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 get that, you know, for the most part, you do see that more times. And not in boxing. Yeah, you do. Um, and and I think I think we need to take into account also that this is you know Fury has been in Deontay's Wilder brain. I mean, for twenty months straight. You know, this guy was looking for a peace of mind. This guy was looking for his identity back. Like you said, he fired he fired his coaches. He you know he fired a lot of people on his team. He you know made a lot of excuses and allegations towards Tyson Fury. It was just a hard it's a hard thing to deal with just dealing with the loss in, in itself. So, you know, this is a guy that's just, at, seriously, you, he hears the name Tyson Fury, and he, he just, you know, he, he grimaces, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. You know, he doesn't want to talk about Tyson Fury. Like, Tyson Fury is not a subject that he wants to talk about with anyone, you know. And it, it sucks when someone can just completely take over your mind and, and take over your body like that, man. And, uh, you know, he's going to have to deal with this for the rest of his life. Um, he should just come to come to an understanding that, hey, Fury's just a better fighter. That's just it, and it's okay. Everybody, you know, he's still a great fighter, and, you know, he shouldn't be such a sore loser about it, and, and he just needs to accept it. That's it. And once he does that, then he'll be able to move on with his life. But if he doesn't, um, it's going to haunt him. It's going to haunt him forever. It really is. You know, Tyson Fury has really become – America's champion, you know, and this was perfectly planned and orchestrated by Bob Arum and top rank when they brought him over and said, Hey, we're going to have you fight in Vegas. And again, you know, for, for the most part, you know, American fans, not crazy about British fighters and foreign fighters, but Tyson Fury has gotten that, he's got that personality and he's engaging yeah. as you know, I mean, being around this guy and just, you know, we, we love talking to him all the time, you know, and, yeah. and he's, and he's saluting Vegas. And you know, and he's in in his ring interest from Henderson, Nevada, which is pretty awesome, you know. And you know, it's crazy. But this is what this guy has become. But Tim, how much more are we really going to see of Tyson Fury? I mean, come on, this guy's up there in age, and he's made a lot of money. He's disposed of, of probably the biggest challenge in Deontay uh, Wilder in three fights now. So I imagine Usyk, they're going to try to maybe make that the fight, or if Usyk and, and Josh are going to fight again, then he gets the winner. But how many more fights do you think we have with Tyson Fury before he calls it a day, or calls it a career, you I should know, say? You know what, I, I don't know. I, you know, honestly, I can't answer that. I, I think that's up to him. Um, I wouldn't still, even though Joshua doesn't have the belts, I still wouldn't mind seeing that match. Um, I, I still wouldn't mind seeing it at all, even though he he's lost. Um, I think if if Usyk and Joshua does it again, the winner should face Tyson Fury. Um, I've, I've been hearing Dylan White, and I've been hearing what Hearns has been saying, and um, I, I mean I respect Dylan White, but like, bro, get in line, get in line. There's other guys, you know, in front of you, and uh, I wouldn't mind seeing that clash, the Battle of England with Anthony Joshua and Tyson Fury still with or without a belt, I think it'll still be a huge event. And I think everybody will tune in because uh, I I think we all know what's going to (laughs) happen if it does happen. But we still want to see it, man. That's how crazy we are. We still want to see it. Tyson Fury would obliviate (laughs) uh, Anthony Joshua. He would destroy him. And I I believe that fight probably won't even go past uh, six, seven rounds. I'm saying it right now. It wouldn't go past if they were to fight, but I still want to. I still want to see it because Joshua got that right hand. Well, he does. And here's the thing: he got a right hand. It's it's kind of. I don't want to say it's unfinished business, but because they haven't fought before, but this that fight was, has been talked about for the better part of five or six years, and it, and it just didn't ever happen. Isn't that fight easier to make happen now? It should be. Yeah, it should be. But yeah, it should be. Definitely, it should be. You know. I you know, you know history. History. If you look back at history, if you really think about it, and you and we talk about, you know, uh, Sugar Ray, Sugar Ray Leonard. We talk about Hearns. You talk about uh, 
You talk about Duran. You talk about all these guys that came before us. Uh, Hagler. Do you remember a belt? Do you? Do you? Can you recall what belt they fought for? Oh, they fought for the WBC title <laughs> in this fight, or that. You just remember the matchups, right? That's what we remember. We remember the matchups. So Anthony Joshua is still a great matchup for Tyson Fury, whether we look at it or not. And I understand, like I said, what I said, but anything can happen. It takes one punch in the heavyweight division. One punch, and that's the beauty about the big guys. You know, and it's not like the small guys. No, that's one punch in the heavyweight division. And, and it's going be anybody's night. Just because Fury, he's reigning right now. He's looking great. He, he, he survived this fight, but no telling what happened to him during this fight. Trust me, a piece of Tyson Fury was left in that ring Saturday night. Yep. You know, Deontay Wilder took something from him. He did. He took a lot from him. You know, so, and, and the same thing, we can say the same thing about Anthony Joshua. But at the end of the day, different styles and styles make fights. I still want to see it because Joshua still, like I said, he still has a puncher's chance to beat a Tyson Fury. You just never know in a heavyweight division. Yeah, and it's not like you have this. Uh, it's not like the welterweight division where you have, you know, all of these guys that uh, you know would make for great matchups. You don't have that yeah. in the heavyweight division, so that's what begs the question. Like, okay, yeah. you know, Joshua's got beaten twice, but you know what? You know, it's it's probably the most entertaining fight and the fight that could really sell the most. I mean, there's no question yep. about that. Yeah, yeah, that's a great point. I mean, even even when even when Ali was reigning, I mean, Ali was got beat. He yep. got beat several times, but then he comes back. It's not about being beat. It's about how you come back. Right. You know, uh, you got Anthony Joshua. He's been down. He's what, second time getting beat? Okay. Let's see how he comes back from that. Can he avenge his loss? If he avenges his loss, then he moves forward. Now we got Tyson Fury waiting waiting for him, you know, and and it's a huge fight. And if it'll be for all the marbles, that's great. If it's not, if he loses again, I still want to see the fight. <laughs> it doesn't matter. I mean, I, I think I think Joshua and Fury still sells more than Usyk and, and Fury. Still sells more. I totally without agree with a, you. What, totally without agree. a doubt. Mm-hmm. Without a doubt, man. So um, Joshua's still still a, ha- a household name. People still love him. You know, he when he loses, he loses gracefully. So people respect him, and they honor that. And, you know, they tell hey, get well, champ. You know, come back stronger, champ. You know, they still believe in him, and they still follow him. You know, that's the difference between, uh, I would say, the American fans and the English fans. They still get behind their guy, win, lose, or draw. They still get behind their guy. And that's so, what, that fight would have to be over in England as well, too. It makes, man, of course. It makes all the sense in the world, yeah. Oh, yeah. As oh, much as we'd course. like to see it here, it just makes sense to to put it in Wembley or somewhere like that, yeah. That fight would sell out Wembley. Yeah. <laughs> if they were to make that fight in four months from now or six months from now, that fight will still sell out Wembley. Crazy stuff, man. Ah, oh, Tim Bradley, the five-time champ, ESPN boxing analyst, does a fantastic job. Love you, man. Appreciate Great insight. Love you too, brother. Great stuff. And we got a lot of boxing to talk about here in Vegas. We got one down. We got two to go. We got Plant and Canelo. And then we got Crawford and Porter. Man, it's Ooh. a good time. It's a good time to be here, man. Yes, it is. Right. Can't wait. You got it, brother. All right, brother. Talk to you later. All right. Peace. There it is. Timothy Bradley, my guy. Yeah. Tim uh, was not on the ESPN call this past week because, again, it was one of those funky things where PBC and ESPN were, were sharing the broadcast and the dual pay-per-views. And you had you know Showtime Sean Porter over with, with Max Kellerman. We saw him there. And, uh, uh, you know, and how about Showtime? So Showtime comes on the show, uh, you know, you know, you know, last, fr- last Friday, and then he they have the press conference Saturday at the MGM Grand where they announce his fight with uh, Terrence Bud Crawford, and Showtime is there putting in his time, answering all the questions, doing the press conference, and he commanded the press conference did a fantastic job there, and you probably saw some stuff that, that I posted on social media, but then he has to race out of there, and like two hours later he's on TV. Doing the Fury Wilder prelims that started early, like two in the afternoon, and then he's there till midnight doing the main event and everything else. So, my, my guy, and then he's got to get up and go to church on Sunday, and then he's got to get back training on Monday. So, up in Mount Charleston. So, there he is, Sean Porter, our guy. Can hardly wait for that fight. All right, we come back. We talk to Matthew Holt. We start talking NFL. This is Showtime, Sean Porter. You know, I'm tuning into the TC Martin Show. <laughs> 
busy Monday, of course, because a busy weekend. We'll be going nonstop, man. Woo. We got more Major League Baseball coming your way tonight. Dodgers and Giants. Max Scherzer on the mound tonight. Red Sox could eliminate the Rays. How about that? Meaning that I've got to really get creative with my, my trip now, you know, with the Astros. And can the Astros hang on after they lost last night, 12-6. to So they got rained out today in Chicago. So game number four between the Strohs and the White Sox will take place tomorrow afternoon. All right. All right, let's continue on here. Uh, Matthew Holt is going to join us. Matt, what's happening, brother? TC, how we doing? Busy, exhausted. Uh, you can fill in the blank anywhere you want, my friend. Oh, and by the way, yeah, that's right. Golden Knights. They start tomorrow, right? <laughs> Jeez. That's it. I'm with you on the busy, exhausted, man. What a crazy week with G2E. And I went to the, last, the Knights' last preseason game and went to an overnight fishing trip this weekend. I am burnt out, brother. I hear you, man. Well, I appreciate you taking the time and, and joining us. So let's play a little catch-up here. We've been talking about... Uh, you know, the great weekend here in Vegas uh, with uh, what we, you know, what transpired going back Friday night with the Aces losing that uh, that game five in front of 10,000 fans there. And then, of course, the fight Saturday night, uh, 16,000 plus there in one of the best heavyweight fights. So we've seen we've talked a lot about it earlier on. Matt, uh, give me your take. Uh, Fury Wilder, what were your thoughts? I thought it was a good fight. I mean, uh, Deontay Wilder actually showed him save himself very well. Uh, I think the last fight was embarrassing, and he made a lot of excuses after that fight, but but he just wasn't ready to go that night. And even the first fight, let's face it, I mean, he was clearly going to lose the fight, lands that one big haymaker at the end, gets a 10-8 round, end up sneaks in a draw. But I thought he came out ready to fight last night, and he really pushed Tyson Fury and made him go to war. Um, and it ended up being a great fight for the fans. It definitely did. All right, uh, let's talk uh, NFL. And, you know, talking about the weekend here in Vegas, Matt, it was the first time that we actually saw the good amount of visiting fans come into Allegiant Stadium where it made a difference. And we didn't see that with the two previous games, the regular season games with Baltimore and Miami, just not having those type of fan bases that are going to travel. But, man, the Bears... Uh, can you imagine if the Bears were actually good? You know, how many people they could have brought to Allegiant Stadium? But I've never seen so much uh, blue and orange. It really had a feeling for me being there yesterday of like a college bowl game. Well, some of it, you know, look, and uh, I'll just say this, I'm vaccinated. But let's face it, they do have a vaccinate protocol in the, in the stadium. And there's some people who aren't. And, and I know of some ticket holders who aren't, and they don't go to the games. So what happens if you don't go to the games? You sell your tickets. And who are the people looking to buy tickets normally? Opposing fans looking to come to Vegas. So I do think that there's something about that. And once that ends, those people that had season tickets holders will probably go to more games rather than sell their tickets. And it'll be a little bit less obvious. But I always go back to the Golden Knights. And the Golden Knights, I saw some stat that they were in the top three in the NHL in terms of uh, opposing fans that go to their arena. You can't go to a Golden Knights game and not know that, you know, the, the hometown team is the Golden Knights. That Those crowds are electric. There is nothing like it. It's one of the greatest non-football sport, you know, because football has so many fans. That if we're talking, you know, 25,000 or less in an arena, I think T-Mobile's amazing, yet they're still in the top three in the league in terms of opposing fans attending games. So I think in a big, massive stadium like Allegiant, because Las Vegas is a destination city, you would assume that Las Vegas will always be in the top five in terms of opposing fans visiting the stadium. And when you face some of these very historic teams with fan bases that travel and you add in any other circumstances that may cause season ticket holders to stay home, you're going to see them show up maybe in higher than expected numbers. But to your point, that didn't happen against Baltimore. It didn't happen against Miami. I don't think it's, you know, I think there was a lot of circumstances that played into it. At the end of the day, I I think everyone should wrap their arms around the fact that Just like the Vegas Golden Knights, the Las Vegas Raiders should be expected to be in the top three in terms of opposing fans visiting their stadium, but it still doesn't mean we can't have one of the best home field advantages in football. 
Great points there. And you know, when you talk about the vaccination part, you're right. You know, a lot of people, no one's talking about that. I mean, that is key right there because, yeah, we both know people that uh, are are not vaccinated and they have season tickets and uh, they got to sell the, their tickets. And so, yeah, that that is a, a, a real fact on why there are, you know, so many visiting teams, uh, uh, fans that are, will, will come to these games. And let's say this, if the Raiders can, you know, win games and be relevant in the AFC West, then you probably will will get more Raider fans in creating a better home field advantage. But if that team starts losing, then, you know, then it turns into a Jacksonville or like Tampa used to be all the time, you know, especially when teams from, you know, the AFC North or the NFC North go and, hey, this is our opportunity, you know, you know, we're transplants, we live down in Florida, that sort of thing. But if the Raiders win, I think you see less and less of that. Look, and at the end of the day, again, go to a Vegas Golden Knights game. During the regular season, you'll see hundreds of opposing jerseys, but there's not an empty seat in the building. The, the atmosphere is electric, and come playoff time when all the Knights fans and season ticket holders go to every game, it's one of the most awesome home, home ice advantages in hockey. I think the Raiders could be the same if they're relevant. Look, during the regular season, there's going to be times where you're going to see thousands of opposing team fans just because the city is such a destination city. But hopefully you're right. If the Raiders can start to make a run and make the playoffs, the the season ticket holders will really show up, and it'll be a true home field advantage for the Las Vegas Raiders. All right. Bears really dominated the Raiders yesterday, 29 the final. The the Raiders 5 of 14 on third down, 1 for 3 on fourth down. Questionable play calling again came into play with Gruden. He had to mix match his, his line. Uh, it, was, it was just not a, a good day. And then, Matt, you also got to factor in you know, the, uh, everything that transpired with, with Gruden, with the news coming out about the emails, and we, we touched upon that a little bit earlier. But uh, I don't know. It just, it just wasn't a great situation for them and probably really not a good betting situation if you're you know, laying five, five and a half with the Raiders yesterday. Yeah, look, I don't do a lot of betting these days because I run a company, obviously, U.S. Integrity, uh, but the NFL contests are still, I still am able to enter those NFL contests, so I, I watch it pretty intently. And in terms of betting, the one thing I've learned over the, and, so, and look, I finished second in the Hilton Super Contest right. in 2009, so I have some history of success there. The one thing we've learned about betting in the NFL, which is a really unpredictable league, that's why you, you can go to, you know, bet whatever you want when you go up to the counter because the league's so unpredictable, the books are happy to take the action, is that it's a really a league of, you know, consistency and repetition and routine. And, it's, you know, the, they play a game, they take a day off, they practice, they do another practice, they do a, a walkthrough. It's really set up very carefully in terms of their preparation for games every week. And anything that disrupts that preparation and that routine and getting ready I tend to find that those teams do not succeed or play well. We saw it early in the year as, you know, the Green Bay Packers with all the Aaron Rodgers talk about why he didn't want to be there, and they came out and laid an egg. We've just seen it throughout the history of the NFL that more times than not, when a team has a big internal distraction, their preparation suffers and they play poorly. And I'm not saying that Gruden did anything wrong. He did anything right. It was 10 years ago. It may or may not have been taken out of context. Who knows? The players may or may not be upset now, but there was so much media around it, the players being interviewed, it couldn't help but be a distraction, at least for this one week and the preparation for the game. All right, here's John Gruden talking about the off-the-field distractions. No, I, you know, I can't speak for everybody. You know, we, we, um, we had a touchdown call back. No, we had two holding penalties. And uh, I can't speak for everybody, but um, – they're a good football team on defense, and they're, you know, they're rallying around their young quarterback with a new play caller, and they ran the ball extremely well. But um, I'm not going down that road. All right, he didn't want to go down the road, but later, and we played those comments, you know, earlier on about what he had to say regarding the emails and DeMaurice Smith and that sort of thing. But the bottom line is the Raiders struggled on the field, whether that was a. A, a you know a faction of it, or if it was coming off the short week and that tough game against the Chargers the week before, but the Raiders really had a lot of struggles yesterday. Well, obviously, we're trying to find our right mix up front, 
and I'm not going to point to the offensive line, but it was Parker's first game starting today. Um, Alex Leatherwood moved into right guard, and uh, we're trying to find the right mix. We're struggling right now to run the football, and obviously our pass protection has to get better as well. Um, and we did drop some passes today that uh, really hurt us, but the penalties, uh, the penalties, they got to stop. We had some on defense that allowed them to continue drives as well, but, um, you know, it all falls back on me. The penalties are ridiculous. They continue to happen uh, uh, yesterday. The Raiders, you know, going backwards. And then, you know, we've seen this, Matt. I mean, we saw it before John Gruden was coach. We've seen it now with Gruden as coach. Nothing has got cleaned up. This team just has always had the reputation of being one of the most penalized teams in the National Football League. Why can't this organization get it cleaned up? I don't know, but they need to get it cleaned up really quick because – this week's game is a very important game. You're talking about two teams at 3-2 and two with the Denver Broncos that the Raiders going to Denver this week. Look, the winner of that game is going to be 4-2 and two and right there in the hunt for AFC West title because we know Kansas City, despite the fact that they're only 2-3 and three right now, they're going to make a run in this division and be competitive. They're still the betting favorites to win this division. The Chargers are off to a 4-1 and one start. The loser of this game could be, you know, staring dead last in the AFC West in the face, you know, a week from today. This is a really important game. And look, Denver's struggling on offense, too. You know, they only scored 17 points in the loss this week against the Pittsburgh Steelers. They looked really bad offensively against the Baltimore Ravens the week before. Both teams in desperate need of win. If you're the Las Vegas, Las Vegas Raiders, if you're going to try and win the AFC West this year, this almost feels like a must-have game. Yeah, and they've got to clean it up uh, you know, very, very quickly here. And the bottom line is this team just has too many inconsistencies. And people always wanted to point to the defensive side of the ball. And then, actually, the defense was, was getting some praise for the way they played. But then yesterday, they fell backwards. And uh, you know, injuries have hit this team. Uh, bottom line, I mean, John Gruden says we just have way too many inconsistencies. I think they played hard. They did some really good things. We struggled in the first half. We couldn't get the ball. Um, I think we only had 25 snaps of offense in the first half. Uh, we played better in the second half. We made some mistakes early in the football game defensively, but we still are looking for a turnover. You know, we've got to get some field position established. They're playing hard. We're doing some good things, and there's some individual efforts that are just outstanding. But it wasn't enough today. You got to win in all three phases, and um, we didn't do that today. Yeah, didn't do it today. And uh, so, Matt, as we look at this Raider team, and you're looking ahead to next week and looking ahead of the schedule. I mean, this was a game that many people penciled in. The Raiders are going to beat this this team. You're getting Justin Fields with his first, you know, NFL start uh, going against the Raiders. Uh, Raiders coming off. Uh, you know, the game uh, against the Chargers, and you figure, okay, this is a good get-back game for the Raiders. They had, you know, two games at Allegiant Stadium prior to that against two tough opponents where basically they fell behind 14 nothing, but they rallied to win in overtime. So they kind of figured, hey, maybe this was going to be one of those games yesterday with the Bears that, okay, you know, Bears really don't have much offensively. You know, maybe this is a good spot for the Raiders. It wasn't the case at all. Yeah, no, they did not look good yesterday. And I know the defense has taken their, their lumps uh, as well as the offense today, but if you hold the team, your opponents, to 20 points or less in an NFL game in 2021, you're giving your team an opportunity to win. That's exactly what the defense did yesterday, allowing exactly 20 points. I'll tell you, you're not going to win many, many ball games when you scored nine points. You got that right. All right, are you getting the feeling here that, here we go, deja vu again. I mean, they started off three and zero last year. They started off, you know, you know, two and zero, and they were six and two. And there was a lot of hype. And it just seems the last couple seasons, you get this thing where, okay, maybe this is going to be the year that the Raiders do get back to the playoffs. They turn things around. And I know that was the feeling after eight weeks last year. I mean, people were saying, "Hey, where do I get my playoff tickets?" You know, even though they couldn't because you know, we had a pandemic going. But it was like, wow. Then this team just went downhill from there. This year, fans in the stands, they get off to the 3-0 and start, and then now they're 3-2, and losing two in a row. And after yesterday's game, I know there's this fan base that is probably thinking, here we go again. Do you get that feeling yourself? 
I do. Luckily for the Raiders, though, I think the schedule softens up a bit, and they, they really need to play well this weekend. And I think if they do, that they could literally go on a quick three-game win streak here and get the fans excited. If they beat Denver, their games after that are a home game against the Eagles and a road game against the Giants team that just lost their quarterback, their top running back. I think their top two receivers were hurt coming into the game. So the Giants are all banged up. That has a recipe for 3-0 and if you could just get past the Denver Broncos. And they're going to need it because this team finishes with a heck of a tough schedule at Kansas City, at Cleveland, Denver, at Indianapolis, and then the char- rematch with the Chargers to end the season. They're going to need to have some padding going into those last five games if they're going to have any shot to make the playoffs. And to me, it starts with these next three games. They are all winnable games, and, and, and they're going to be a favorite in two of those games, especially at home against Philly and on the road against the Giants team decimated with injuries. Now's the time to pull this team together, go on a run, win three games in a row, and carry some momentum into the second half of the schedule, which gets really tough for the Raiders. Matthew Holt joins us from U.S. Integrity. All right, Matt, Buffalo rollover Kansas City. is a great uh, revenge game for them. They win 38-20 going away. The Chargers fell behind. They put 47 on the board against Cleveland. A lot of people were concerned about Baker Mayfield, but he was he was solid, uh, 47-42 there. And then you got the Packers and Bengals game. Uh, too many missed field goals. Packers end up winning by three in, in, in overtime. Oh, and by the way, Who's the only undefeated team still? It's the Arizona Cardinals. They beat the Niners 17-10. Not a pretty game there. But uh, of any of those games or anyone outside of that, what stood out for you yesterday in the NFL? Probably the Buffalo Bills. I mean, Kansas City came into this game in dead last in the AFC West. They need wins right now. And Buffalo just went in there and steamrolled them. And it's the same old story for the Kansas City Chiefs defense, which is allowing 33 points per game and has allowed 20 touchdowns on the season to opponents and is allowing their opponents a 45% third down accuracy. It's just at some point this Kansas City defense has to step up. And for all the praise Andy Reid teams get for their offense, this offense feels a bit one-dimensional time. They are so predicated on the big play. They don't run the ball well, so they don't have a lot of third and threes. And because of that, most of their you know big scoring plays come on big plays to Tyreek Hill, more big plays down the field. At the end of the day, this team is still being out first downed on the season uh, what is it now, 84, I think by like 12 first downs. This is a Kansas City team who's just the offense. This was They were supposed to be a dynasty and win four titles in a row. And ever since that Super Bowl and how bad their offensive line has played, this offense is not the same offense we're used to the last two years. But I don't know that the sports books and I don't know that the betters are recognizing that yet. I mean, they were still a field goal favorite over Buffalo, which even at home would indicate that Kansas City is a better team than Buffalo. Is there anyone right now that thinks the Kansas City Chiefs are better than the Buffalo Bills? The Chiefs are the team that I think the pro betters, the public betters, and the sports books are having the hardest time figuring out in 2021. Yeah, I think you're right. All right. Tonight, we got the Colts and the Ravens. You know, Ravens have uh, been on the road quite a bit uh, this year, and they're going to get four games in a row at home. Then they're going to have a bye. So this is a a big stretch for the Ravens. I know a lot of people are thinking that, hey, they're going to have a a lot of mojo, uh, especially in front of the home uh, team tonight. And Indianapolis, especially with Carson Wentz, even though Wentz played pretty well last week, the line here is seven and a half. Uh, Give me some thoughts. You know, interestingly enough, if this game had been played on Sunday night instead of Monday night, I'd really like Baltimore. Some of these running teams that uh, like Baltimore have trouble coming out of, of Denver. They play up there in the altitude, and for whatever reason, they don't run the ball as effectively the next week. But with the extra day of rest and preparation, you might be able to throw that out the window. I mean, at the end of the day, these are two teams that because of the number of injuries to both teams, and, and you, you pull up the injury report and it's 20 guys deep for both teams, they're a little bit tricky to figure out because the teams we thought they were going to be coming into the regular season aren't necessarily the teams they are. 
a lot of injuries on the defensive side of the football this week for Indianapolis with Quiddy Payne and Roxanne out. I mean, the, uh, Isaac Rochelle, a, a bunch of guys on the defensive line and in that secondary out. But they're still playing pretty decent football. I think they're pretty well coached. On the other side, obviously, the Baltimore injuries in the secondary and in the backfield that the running backs have been well documented, but we continue to stack up guys. The good news for the Ravens is they didn't add one single player to the injury report this week, and I think they benefited the most from the extra day of rest. But it's a tough game for me tonight, TC. The one thing I did think was interesting is that longest touchdown which a lot of times I tend to want to bet under with some teams. Tonight, I think because of the amount of play-action passes and attempts that Lamar Jackson tapes deep down the field or the plays that he keeps alive and just chucks it down the field and the fact that he's careless with the football at times, which leads to some long pick sixes, makes me think that it should be over. Yet, usually that prop is 45-and-a-half, 46-and-a-half. Tonight, I've seen several prominent sports books in town that have the longest touchdown prop at 39 and a half yards. I went ahead and played it over. Okay. All right, brother. Great stuff, man. Appreciate it, uh, as always. And uh, you're still live in the Survivor Series? We usually get a Survivor Series update from you. Here. Still live. Both entries. We had the Patriots and yeah. the Vikings. Really interesting how everybody's talking about the underdogs in the NFL this year, TC. Yet the top two selections every week in Survivor have have gone through every week. We haven't had that monumental upset yet that takes out 60% of the field. Last week, the top two picks were the Minnesota Vikings, New England Patriots. They both made it through. And you know, Matty Holtz, both entries, still alive. <laughs> I love it. All right, my man, be good. We'll talk to you next week. All right, TC, best of luck. Take care. There he is, Matt Holt. All right, uh, appreciate uh, Brian Salmon for joining us today, coming by in studio. Sam the Man Gordon, of course, the five-time champ, Timothy Bradley, recapping Fury Wilder 3 with us as well, too. Great stuff. Busy weekend, and we continue on Major League Baseball tonight, tomorrow, and a whole lot more. Oh, yeah, nonstop sports talk tomorrow. Bob Arum scheduled to join us. We'll have all of our football guys this week as well, too, so as we keep on keeping on. All right, for Numbchuck, T.C. Barnes saying so long. Have yourself a good one. Go to the website. Check out the recap on the fight. Our interviews are up there, the past shows, the broadcasts, all there for you at your fingertips at tcmartinshow.com. Thanks for joining us. Talk to you tomorrow at 2.